Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of New Scientist Weekly. I'm Rowan Hooper. Now there's a special edition of New Scientist magazine out at the moment. It's all about the immune system and it's such an important issue we wanted to dig into it. It covers things like why do some people never seem to get ill? Uh, What was the effect of COVID on our immune system? Um, How can you boost it? And does listening to podcasts boost your immune system? I made that one up. (laughs) Um, So to discuss all of that, um, to go behind the creation of this special edition, we're joined by some of the creators of the piece, Helen Thompson, who's head of features at New Scientist, and two people who you've heard on the podcast before, head of news and digital Penny Sarchet and news reporter Michael LePage. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Helen, let's start with the cover. It's this beautiful image. It looks a bit like a well, it is blood vessels, isn't it? It's, it's kind of more beautiful than you'd expect from blood vessels. Can, can you describe it for us? Take us through the editorial thinking around it as well. Well, I mean, somebody on Twitter said it looked like the uh, the Birmingham um, flyover or something. The junction. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. But it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's uh, all the blood vessels. It's got um, kind of a hint at the sorts of things that can help your immune system so there's a few vegetables flying around there and um and uh, it's got some pictures of some beautiful immune cells as well mm. uh, but it is it's really um it's a really pretty cover it was uh, it was created by vicky turner and she's done a great job she has um let's talk about some of the thinking behind the issue like how did you come up with the idea to do a whole issue on the or a whole special issue on the immune system in the first place yeah, so I think um, ever since COVID um, started, we've we've sort of never known or like cared so much about our immune systems or spoken so much about our yeah. our immune systems. So immunologists have also been doing so much work since the beginning of the pandemic on trying to understand how our immune systems work, and there's just so much more cutting edge um, research about. Uh, immunity out and about at the moment so we just thought we'd look at some of the biggest questions that everybody has about their immune systems and see if we could answer them now um, because of all this added interest into into our immunity since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah well, what are some of those big issues then what's what's covered in this special issue? Yeah so we're looking at the question that all of us have which is whether we've got a, a strong or a weak immune system mm. looking at what effect lockdowns had on our children's immune systems which obviously so it's it's a question that comes up again and again we're looking at how you train the immune system to cure severe disease and we're also asking do some people have naturally stronger immune systems than other people do, are there such is there such a thing as having like super immunity and mm. um, we looked at whether there were differences or whether there were sex differences in the immune system and also what kinds of food you should eat to boost your immune system. And then we also asked the question of whether you can create an artificial immune system and then finally looked at how our immune system changes with age. Wow. Okay, that's there's so much cool stuff in this. Let's dig into some of it. So Penny, you looked at some of the this one about the effect of lockdown on how children's immune systems developed and this is not about exposure to covid but more about non-exposure to other people isn't it yeah and I I was really interested in this as a topic from the beginning of the pandemic because before the pandemic I I wrote a few features for new scientists looking at this issue of basically all comes down to the hygiene hypothesis which is this idea that no longer really is our best understanding of how our immune systems work and learn and why we have more allergies these days. But it's just been such a popular idea and so widely misunderstood that most people, without sort of really realising it, 
still base their understanding of our immune systems on on this idea. So for anyone who's uh, not sure, the hygiene hypothesis is, uh, it was proposed in the 80s. And the idea was that uh, allergies were becoming more common because children were getting exposed to fewer infections during childhood. Now, we know that's not actually the case. Since then, in the decades that have happened since, we now know that actually what's really important for young immune systems is an exposure to a a really wide variety of microbes, good ones and sometimes bad ones, but at low levels. And that's really important when it comes to allergies, but not necessarily for actually making sure that your immune system is brilliant at everything else, because your immune system does more than just give you allergies. (laughs) There's like five or six different branches of what your immune system does. And so I was interested in that um, for years, really, because initially I was interested in are we too clean? Because I think it just the idea that it's actually good for you to not wash your hands that much or to eat food off the floor is just so much more convenient, isn't it? So it's it just kind of passed into public law, even though it's not true. And again, as we've seen with the pandemic, you know, good hygiene is actually really important. It prevents infections and it actually has no bearing on your immune system. It's not good for you to not wash your hands after using the toilet. And similarly, so when the pandemic started, you know, it's natural that when there's a big change with things like lockdowns, you start worrying about, well, what will it do for children? And I'd always been aware that there's this kind of idea that when you when you send your kids to nursery and um, they come home sick, I mean, the NHS, even pre-pandemic, said something like, you can expect a young child to bring colds home 10 times a year. And, and when you're living through that and it's brutal, everyone says, well, it's really good for children to get sick. It's good for them to get sick. Yeah. So, so what I was really interested in is, is it good for children to get sick? And if so, what what do lockdowns do to children's immune systems? Mm. So, so that's what I wanted to unpack. And a bit like the thing about saying, well, it, it's good not to wash your hands. That's not true. Your children don't actually need to get sick. So I sort of, I really enjoyed digging into that with respect to the pandemic. So do, do kids get sick more because because their immune systems are developing? Right, because uh, yeah. they get they get sick when they they do come home from nursery and school like sick all the time. Yeah, but we don't come home from off when we used to go to the office. You know, yeah. sick all the time, right? No, exactly. Um, although although parents I think do often get sick off their kids, but yeah. um, yeah, because children have young immune systems, um, there's all kinds of viruses that you can build up some immunity to. You know, one of the problems with COVID is. It doesn't last very long, but for other things like flu, RSV, some colds, you can build up a longer term immunity. And even if you're not protected forever, there's enough of it normally in the general population that it stops things from going up and down all the time. So it does. There is this sort of period for children where they are exposed to a lot of pathogens for the first time and then they get sick, although not necessarily always with big symptoms. So there is this process of learning but it's not like it has to happen when they're one or they're two. And, you know, this was one of the questions I had. You know, there are children who don't go to nursery. They might be with a stay-at-home parent or a nanny. or So there's not one way to encounter the viruses in the world. And the kind of general perception there is that you can just catch up later on, which is right. some of what's happening at the moment. So has there been enough research done yet already to tell whether there has been effect of, of lockdown? Well, it's still early days. So I started researching this before some of the kind of the huge waves that we saw in the Northern Hemisphere over winter. And one of the best studies so far was a a look at Irish children that were born uh, during 2020, during the lockdowns. And that 
uh, as you might expect, you know, like I said, the, the early years are really important for allergies or preventing allergies. They're not actually that important for having to encounter every virus because our immune systems do just learn forever. That was really interesting. There's kind of early signs, maybe, that there might be a slight increased prevalence of allergies further down the line, but that's not actually something that they've detected yet. And one thing that's really reassuring, actually, is I I think this is why it's so good that we've done a special on the immune system. It's just so vastly complicated the way that our immune system works. There's so many factors that shape whether you have a good immune system or not and how good it is at fighting disease. That the uh, One of the interviews I did for the piece was so reassuring in terms of like, there's not just one thing that your children need to be okay. There's so many different factors. It depends on individual circumstances, genetics, different exposures. So there's no clear signal yet that, and, and I don't expect that there will be, that the few lockdowns that we had will mean that the sort of the young infants during that time will be severely impaired for the rest of their lives. We just wouldn't expect that to happen. And so, so then, of course, people have since been pointing at like the big waves of RSV and flu and everything that we've had this winter rolling through kids. But um, there's quite a few factors that that play into that, and we've we had something in the magazine on this earlier earlier this year. To some extent, is that sort of catching up process? You know, there are more kids at, at the same time who haven't had RSV, and to some extent, we've it's just COVID has completely disrupted things. So the equilibrium of what viruses happen when has thrown off. What we still don't really know is the extent to which COVID interacts with our immune systems and those infections and maybe makes them worse and there have been some really severe strains going on so a lot of people I think because we worry so much about our kids also I think some people have an agenda to say the lockdowns never should have happened have been pointing to the sick kids this winter as a sign that they've all got damaged immune systems but that's absolutely not not the Mm. case there's no sort of evidence of that. It is really interesting how much we're learning in in a research sense but also in the public sphere about the immune system as a result of covid just to come in there i just i i think one thing maybe we should say is people might think oh it's natural for people for kids to be exposed to colds but i think you have to remember we're living in this global world now where there are a lot more viruses that are going on than in the past we were living in these small communities there wouldn't Mm. have been that many viruses going on so this idea that kids should be bombarded with this huge number of viruses that's not the way it was in the past this is something Mm. new in this global connected world that we're living in now absolutely and I I think about that a lot in terms of nursery because the idea that you pack your kid off to spend the day with at least five or six other kids of exactly the same age for most of the day most of the week that's very unlike what it would have been like sort of ancestrally where of course kids were mixing with other kids but they were sort of cousins of all different ages and wouldn't necessarily all be sick at the same time so there's that kind of uh, default where we think what we do normally is the best thing, but it, it's not necessarily always the case. And Michael Penny mentioned the the complexity of the immune system. And you've written in this special issue about T cells, and they're some of the hero cells of the immune system, aren't they? And you're writing about how they can be modified to become even more effective. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so, so to start at the beginning, those of us who are not kids who are sick all the time, we, we sort of take our immune system for granted. But what, what we see with people who are immunocompromised, it might be because they've had a transplant and they're taking immunosuppressing drugs or people who are HIV positive in the days before we had good treatments for AIDS. Uh, what we saw then is that our immune system is doing all kinds of stuff that we just take for granted. And there are all kinds of 
bacteria around us. Uh, it's sort of it's these killing off these infections all, all the time. And one of the most important things it's doing as well is actually killing off a lot of cancers before they can develop. So this is a very important part of what our immune system is doing. Unfortunately, as we all know, it it doesn't kill off all cancers. Some cancers manage to get past the immune system for various reasons. And so one of the big things in cancer treatments in the past sort of couple of decades has been when cancers have eluded our immune system and are getting worse, what can we do to sort of reactivate the immune system and get them to sort of see cancers and attack cancers? And so there have been various ways that people have been trying to do this. One, of course, are cancer vaccines where you try and somehow stimulate the immune system to attack a specific cancer. The other thing is we know that cancers, they basically evolve in our body. And one of the things they evolve to do is to sort of say to the immune system, hey, leave me alone. Don't attack me. I'm just part of you. And so we can, we've sort of now understand some of those signals and we develop drugs. They're called PD-1 mm. inhibitors. That those basically sort of switch off that signal from the, the cancers and let the immune system attack it again. It's a really appealing way to do it, isn't it? To to work with our immune system rather than, you know, try to smash it by, by using chemotherapy, for example, to work with it and try and boost it to make it more effective. Yeah. And of course, a lot of these are done as sort of combination therapies in combination with traditional treatments. But yes, um, I mean, conventional cancer treatments are typically targeting fast growing cells. And it's not just the cancer cells that yeah. uh, get killed off, which is why they can have some very nasty side effects. So if we can get a more specific attack that's very much targeted at the, the cancer itself and not at other healthy cells in the body, that's sort of um, obviously much preferable. And yes, and so what I was looking at is in these cases, so when all else fails, uh, one sort of extreme thing you can do is actually take immune cells and program them to attack cancers and so the way you do this uh, these sort of cells recognize cancers with receptors on their surface and you can you take these cells out of someone's body you add this receptor you put it back in and it attacks the cancer now this this is treatment has been going on it was in the 1990s people first started developing it and uh, it's taken a long time to get it working well but it's mm. starting to produce some dramatic results but the standard approach of just adding a single receptor, there are some issues with that. So, for instance, one big one is that if you have to take immune cells from a single individual and you modify them, you can only put them back in that individual. Obviously, if you put them back in a different individual, first of all, that person's own immune system yeah. would attack those cells. Yeah. But also the immune cells would attack all the other cells of that person's body, not just the cancer. Yeah. And so what I was writing about are the, there are all these new possibilities that have been opened up by gene editing. And one of the things we can do now is not just add a receptor to these cells, but we can modify them in various other ways. So there was a story uh, back in 2015. It was done in uh, here in the UK for the first time where they uh, treated a girl called Layla uh, with cells that were taken from somebody else and they were gene edited so that they wouldn't attack her body. And that worked dramatically well. I mean, she she was sort of basically at death's door and got this treatment. And uh, it, it seems to have, as, as far as I know, she's still cancer-free. What are we now? Nearly eight years on. So it worked dramatically well. And so what, what I was writing about were all these gene editing has opened up all these new ways of changing these immune cells and making them more effective. 
and so you know we are we are getting some great results but uh you know this is it's still very early days and of course these treatments they're not a magic bullet it's it's pretty a dangerous thing to muck around with the immune system yeah is that why you say it's the last resort or is that because it's it's so laborious and 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 technical to do it for one one individual at a time it's both because it, this these treatments are very expensive. There are some approved now, but they're very expensive because of that personalised aspect, which is why if you can sort of use one batch of cells to treat lots of different people, it, it makes it cheaper. But it's also the you know as we know the immune system, the power of the immune system means that it's it's dangerous. And if when you put these cells back in someone's body and they attack the cancer, that's that can sort of trigger that attack can be so sort of vigorous that it can actually trigger fatal side effects. So, you know, these treatments sometimes work extremely well. Sometimes they have very nasty side effects and, some, you know, some people have actually died as a result. So we're still learning how to use these in, in the best possible way. And that, that's that's why they've been used as a last resort generally for with people whom all, all the other treatments have failed rather than as a first-in-line therapy. Just to chip in there, I, I, despite the caveats that Michael's uh, just given, I did feel that this story was one of the most hopeful stories I've ever read about cancer. And it's just so nice that, you know, we can we can publish those kinds of stories that have this really um, sort of hopeful aspect to them when you're when you're talking about treatments for cancer. Yeah, I was I was going to say something similar. I think it's what's really nice about this is it does feel like it's a glimpse into a future that um, we've been waiting for for so long to get away from a very brutal kind of treatment regime to something a bit more different and effective. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Helen, let's talk about the idea of whether you have a, whether people have a strong or weak immune system to start with. Is is that really a thing? Because people tend to think that, don't they? Is it a real thing? Yeah, so we all kind of feel like we either have a really weak immune system or a really strong immune system, or we know somebody who never gets sick. I mean, it's, it is true to some extent that 
people do, are going to react to viruses and, and pathogens um, in different ways. And there are several reasons for that. It's not, unfortunately, there's nobody that has kind of, they're not, they don't have any superhero type super immunity uh, against all pathogens. But there, um, there are reasons why you might get sick from something that somebody else doesn't. And, you know, it can be some anything from your genetics. We know, for instance, that about 1300 gene variants change our uh, either increase or decrease our risk of getting severe COVID, for instance. Um, and a lot of those gene variants are to do with the action of the immune system. And it's the same for other conditions like TB or HIV, um, there are several genes that you can you, uh, can be switched on or off that can affect how you're reacting to certain pathogens. So that could be one reason. It could be that you um, might be exposed to, um, you might have already been exposed to a pathogen. So we know for, for COVID, for instance, that none of us had been exposed to that uh, virus before, but we did find a few. There were a few nurses that had been had had like a high exposure to the to the virus, but that never got sick. And, and when they studied them in more detail, they they realised that the um, virus was actually multiplying in their nose, but never getting down to their to their lungs and causing any damage. So, and they thought it was possibly because they had been exposed to the four other coronaviruses that we know have been circulating in the past. Mm. Um, so their prior exposure had. had affected um, how sick they got to COVID. So that's that might be one reason um, why you feel like you've got a really strong immune system against certain things. And we, we go into some of the other the other reasons in in the piece itself. But we also look at ways of telling whether you've got a, a, a good, a strong immune system or not. Hmm. So I mean, I just found it fascinating because I just would love to know the answer to this. And there is research out there at the moment looking to grade where you can grade your immune system. And it's looking at the balance between two types of immune cells in your blood. And by using this test, if you've got a kind of grade one, brilliantly strong immune system, you're actually much less likely to get ill from certain diseases. And they looked at COVID as a way of testing this. And they found that if you had a grade one immune system, you, you were much less likely to have severe COVID. And this this was actually a better predictor of how likely you were to get severe COVID Um it was better than age, which obviously, as we know, was strongly linked to how sick you got. And they found that even people who were over 80, who if they had a grade one immune system, they were they were much less likely to get severe COVID than young, much younger people who had a, a sort of grade three or four immune mm. system. So that's still in, in, in the works. That's still in development. You can't get that at your doctors yet. But um, there are going to be ways to, in the future to, to be able to test your, you know, how, how healthy your immune system really is. And I guess the key thing is, if you're on a lower level, can you get yourself up to another higher level? Yeah, and then that's the question, isn't it? What can we do mm. to actually improve our immune system? And we and we have another piece in the in the immune special that kind of looks at that, and it's actually by um, Tim Spector, who people have probably heard of because he developed the Zoe app during the pandemic, and yeah. he's just this brilliant geneticist, and he's really interested in microbiology at the moment, and he's looking at the question of everybody has 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 gone down your supermarket aisle and seen yogurts and and yeah. juice and soups that say yeah. immune boosting i've literally got one yeah. on my desk right now that it has i won't mention the company but it it just says plus immunity on the yeah. packet <laughs> as if it's just going to give you this amazing immunity yeah so we've all seen these kind of immune boosting foods and i'm sure lots of us uh, try to to have some of them, you know, to try and make our immune system healthy. And Tim Spector asks the question, well, like, do any of these actually work? And um, it's really interesting. I mean, he, what he he sort of surmises is that 
it's not about um, specific foods, but what we want to do is really improve our gut microbiome because when you think about um, your biggest immune organ is actually your gut because that's got all your all the bacteria, the good bacteria that can help protect you from certain diseases. So he's looking at okay, well, what foods are beneficial to your your gut microbiome, and um, there are ways that. Well, we know we can't say too specifically because it's very hard to know what everybody's gut microbiome looks like and and how you should tweak it to make it better and and, and if you even can. But one good kind of general rule is to try. We know that like a really d- diverse gut microbiome it seems to be the most protective and it seems to benefit the immune system the most. So how do we get the most diverse gut bugs basically? And the way to do that is to so to feed them the right things, so that, that's prebiotics essentially. So you need to look at eating lots of fiber uh, because your beneficial gut bugs love fiber and that makes them grow and and that activates them to produce chemicals that we know reduce inflammation and do all sorts of other things to help keep the immune system healthy. And you also need to have the bugs themselves, the bacteria themselves. So that's the um, probiotics. So we know that fermented foods and things like yogurts and and kimchi and various other things seem to be quite good for us because they actually give us those bacteria. And and we know now that they actually do get into our our colons, which is where the bacteria is, and they um, are able to kind of have their immune supporting effects there. Um, Yeah, because there was a a question about whether the bugs you were eating in yogurts and things were killed yeah. like, in, the, in the stomach and didn't actually get through. But Yeah, but and early on that was the case. We did really think there was a lot of criticism there. And, and we don't know, you know, these studies are very early stage still, but it does look as though we can get good bacteria into our, into our colons. They don't appear to stay there for very long, which is why you need to consistently eat your, your vegetables and your, good, and your fiber and but it does seem like we can, you know, we can manipulate the diet to help support our immune system. And I say support yeah. because everybody says boost, but you actually don't want to boost your immune system because we know that if um, it's sort of a really delicate balance, that if your immune system gets too overactive, then that can have really negative consequences. Turn on you. Turn yeah. On and it, that's the reason yeah. we get autoimmune diseases. Um, yeah. And so it's really about eating the right foods to to support your immune system, to give your immune system the best chance of doing its job really well. I had a culture of kefir in my fridge for ages. Someone, Megan Rossi, gave it to me, uh, the nutritionist. Uh, she was at New Scientist Live a few years ago, and she gave me this culture. And it's a blob. It's a bacterial and yeast blob. And uh, you feed it milk, and it just grows and grows. And in the end, oh, God, it just started multiplying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I got into to taking this to sort of, you know, support the immune system. And I think, like, naturally, I even without trying, I I seem to have a lot of fermented food in my diet anyway, like miso and kimchi I eat a lot of. I've never had COVID, so I wonder if that's uh, partly <laughs> partly why. I don't think we can ever tell uh, no. if there's one specific thing that you're doing right, or maybe, you know, maybe you've got some prior exposure to the coronaviruses. We know, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell, but I think Megan Rossi has promoted the idea of eating um 30 different plant-based foods every week 30 different foods and that's for the same reason that's that we know that if you give your good bacteria in your in your guts the right foods and as many different types of foods then you're kind of you're making your best effort to give them to give them as many foods as you can so that you get the most diverse 
amount of bacteria in your gut. Yeah, it's it's adding to the complexity of the ecosystem in your stomach, isn't it? So I, I actually took that on. I sort of would chuck on some seeds of different things into into your food and it doesn't really do much to it in terms of taste, but you know, it's maximizing the the different ingredients, like you say. I think yeah. it's an easy thing that, that anyone can it do. Is, it is. It's a, it's a really easy solution. I mean, wh- whether it works or not, we know. We haven't had these big, long clinical trials yet. But from our early evidence, it seems like a good thing to try at the very yeah. least. Yeah. And also a lot cheaper to like eat more lentils and beans and seeds and oats and that sure. kind of thing than buying some of these, you know, the smoothies that claim to boost your immune system could be like hugely expensive. I was fascinated by that study you mentioned about the healthcare workers who didn't get COVID and that seemed to come from they had a, been exposed to the coronaviruses over many years and built up a really effective immunity. And uh, just anecdotally, so you know, my partner works in healthcare and when she first started working in hospitals, she used to get ill all the time. And then now, you know, I, I get a cold and she she's sort of absolutely fine. She doesn't get ill. And anecdotally, I've heard lots of stories of that. People who work in healthcare or teachers, so, so, so some of them at least seem to build up. The, they've had it all. <laughs> yeah, they've had it all. But this this study actually, I mean, that, that's all just anecdotal. But this study actually showed that with, with this one group of people uh, with coronaviruses, at least these sort of some of these people just they seem to have this immune. It, it seemed to be a T cell response in a way their T cells sort of mm. learn to respond to these viruses that just gave them really good protection. And that's sort of it's absolutely fascinating if we can sort of understand that better and work out maybe how to develop vaccines that trigger that. That would be that would be brilliant. And I, I personally found it really interesting in, throughout all of the, the package of all the different immune stories is a lot of it links back to some of those questions we had right at the beginning of the pandemic, because I, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, with the original strain, about a third of people were asymptomatic, a third of people had like a nasty cold and perhaps a third had it really severe. And that's all changed since we've had different variants and different exposures and vaccines and everything. But there's still so many questions about why was there that variability and and, and what determines, and, you know, like Helen said, some of it was age, there's gender component to that. And then mm. there's all these other bits that we're still starting to unpack in terms of, well, yeah, maybe you have a grade one immune system or a prior exposure. And there were a few pieces in the package on age and, and how biological sex plays a role in immunity. And there was so much in that that I didn't know. It was really interesting. Yeah, I, I was struck by that as well. Mm. This fact that there's big differences between men and women in yeah. terms of the immune response and how it might all be to do with the X chromosome and yeah. women having two copies of the X chromosome and men only having one. So that's an absolutely fascinating bit of the mm. feature that I, for one, didn't know anything about. Same, I'd always heard that men just get sick more because they smoke more and they drink more. And, <laughs> and so to actually know that actually there's and kind of... And flu is real. <laughs> yeah. flu is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Not good though. Not, not they good also they moan more, but mm. for, they, for real reasons. <laughs> fantastic look we'll leave it there there's so much to get into in that special issue thank you to the some of the creators of the immune special for joining me helen thompson penny sachet and michael lepage and thanks to you for listening to this bonus episode of new scientists weekly and if you're interested to learn more about the immune system that special issue is out now in print and i'll put a link to the stories we've talked about and and others in the show notes and to the app so you can download it thanks again and we'll see you back on the weekly show bye-bye bye 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 this podcast is produced by og podcasts find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk 